You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 884 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And thank you, as always, for listening to this episode. I am the managing editor of PeachtreeHoops.com, as well as the host of this podcast and a contributor slash staff writer over at Diamond Uproxx covering the NBA, the NBA draft, and college basketball. And today's podcast will be myself answering a bunch of mailbag questions, and I really, really appreciate all of the submissions this time around. Before we get to that, though, a little bit of news slash some rankings talk, some predictions talk, etc. here at the top of the podcast. The Hawks did not practice on Monday after two games in three days, so nothing new to report on that front. There were a couple of um, new top 100 lists that came out, though, on Monday. I know I spent some time last week, if you missed any of that, dissecting the ESPN top 100 list, which, which was kind of a mess, quite frankly. Um, but two more came out on Monday from CBS and Sports Illustrated. CBS released their entire top 100. Um, they actually left ClickAppella out of the top 100 again, as ESPN did. That's frustrating in a lot of ways. I think, you know, I discussed this last time with ESPN, but it's pretty silly to leave them out of, out of top 100 in my view. But there you go on that. Trey Young's 25 for CBS, slightly higher from ESPN. He's still behind um, guys like Zion and Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, which is a little bit, um, you know, I, I disagree. Let's just say that. Nothing totally crazy, a little bit better than ESPN's ranking, and that's probably still a little bit lower um, than he should be, but there you go. And then um, running that out for the Hawks, you have Badonovich at 55, Gallinari at 56, and John Collins at 60, which is obviously notably higher than they uh, than those guys were at ESPN. Sports Illustrated's um, only released half of their list, the back half from 151. So Trey Young, we don't know where he ranks just yet, but Badonovich 76, Capella 69, which is appropriate for him, I think. Collins 59, and Gallinari was not on the on the back half of the top 50. He could be in the top 50, or he could be outside the top 100. I'm not actually sure what, what they're going to do there. Um, there's some gray area, but there you go on that. It'd be pretty crazy to me if he was outside the top 100 entirely, but that is possible, I think. Just guessing. Um, obviously, Young will be in the top 50 somewhere, so we will circle back on that later later on potentially. But those are the latest national lists that came out, so I wanted to run those by you. People were asking for my reactions. Nothing huge for me, but that's kind of uh, that kind of covers the gamut at this point in time. Also, ESPN released their quote winter forecast end quote on Monday, and I got some questions about that as well. There's basically a panel weighing in with, with predictions. This is not a projection by stats. This is actually people voting on this list. It was the usual top six in the East, followed by the Pacers at seventh with a 39 win total. And then the Hawks were tied with the Wizards at number eight at 35 and 37 with the Magic at 31 and 41. I was on with Nate, with Nate Duncan on the Dunked on Prime podcast last week for his um, Hawks Season Outlook podcast. And I sort of revealed my prediction on some level. I'm still going to save my final one for this podcast a little bit later on before the season starts. But I can tell you with absolute confidence it will be more than 35 wins. So that means that I have that I think they're uh, too low on the Hawks at this point in time. Also, I said this before, but I'm going to pick the Hawks to finish 7th in the East ahead of the Pacers. I can't understand, um, quite honestly, I, I definitely can get it to have Indiana ahead of Atlanta just because they're more proven defensively. They have sort of a, um, a baseline of outperforming their projections in recent years, etc. But 
the Wizards stuff I don't really understand, quite frankly. Um, I think the Hawks are just more talented than the Wizards, top to bottom, and then defensively actually will be better than the Wizards, probably much better, I would imagine. Um, I know Washington has their uh, star backcourt with Beal and Westbrook. Westbrook is a divisive player. He's still uh, definitely productive, but a guy who doesn't play a ton of defense at this point at, at this point in time. Beal was pretty bad defensively last season in a lot of ways. And then, you know, three through five on the court, Washington does not have a whole lot of defensive talent. I think the Hawks are more talented than the Wizards on offense. You could convince me the Wizards are still better because they have guys who are, um, you know, more offense only. They can play some lineups that are pretty scary with Bertans, etc. But defensively, the Hawks are just better than the Wizards. They're just better overall, in my opinion. So there you go. I'm not terribly surprised. I've heard some I've heard some pro Washington buzz, but I think the Hawks are better than the Wizards. There you go on that. Um, at any rate, that's what the latest forecast was from ESPN, and that was a question I actually got from some people from the mailbag, so uh, that's why I went ahead and addressed it before we got to the mailbag itself. At any rate, um, one last thing to touch on before we get to the mailbag is that there's one week remaining in the contract extension window for John Collins, because it's a rookie extension for Collins, potentially. The two sides had to agree on something before 6 p.m. Eastern Time on December 21st. I'm recording this on the 14th, so they have one week now to get through that. Or, from that point forward, they cannot do an extension anymore. Now, I want to be clear, that does not mean that Collins is leaving at the end of the season. Um, He'll be a restricted free agent for the Hawks, um, provided they offer him a qualifying offer, which they absolutely will do. So, you know, they can still retain him. It's not the end of the world if if there's no extension, but I I know people are definitely keeping a close, close eye on that. So I want to touch on that briefly here on the podcast. And actually, later on, I have a mailbag question that pertains to Collins and the extension stuff and some money stuff. So we'll come back to that in a moment. Before we get to the mailbag, though, I want to tell you about our sponsor on today's podcast, and the first of which is 1010. Now, you may have read about it in the New York Times or Forbes, and we're excited to tell you about it. Also, 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring launching exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. When they're gone, they're gone. We all know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people. And with 1010, it's beautifully re-envisioned in the hands of 10 modern designers working exclusively with sustainably sourced diamonds. If you're making 2021 plans or looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day this year, you're definitely going to want to check this out. This exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January 18th. You can preview it exclusively at BlueNile.com. One more time, that is BlueNile.com. All right, we'll dive into the mailbag now. First question comes from Jason C., and he asks, how would a Collins potential extension impact the Hawks' cast space in the future? I was wondering this now that Gallo and Bogdan are signed. So, the short version of this is that for next offseason 2021, the Hawks no longer have cap space projected at all, quite frankly. Now, that could always change with a trade of some kind, but assuming the Hawks would keep Collins' salary cap hold on the books, and they absolutely want to do that, they are already over the cap for next year with what they have in the books right now. So the dream of next year, you know, big splash for agency is probably gone. Not definitely, but probably. And at this point in time, they don't have, they don't have space right now. Now, that isn't a problem in that they have Collins Bird rights. They can go over the cap to sign him. That isn't a problem at all. But that's one of the, chase, the, the choices that the Hawks made by giving up, you know, giving the money to, that they gave to Bogdanovich and Gallinari and Rondo, especially for, you know, multiple years. They gave up on that, you know, pie in the sky potential dream of a a huge free agent sign next summer. So there's that. Now, without doing the whole spiel that I've done before, that's actually a reason to maybe extend Collins even more so in some ways because there's no opportunity cost. Part of the appeal of not extending Collins originally was that he had had this very low cap hold because he was sort of a late pick in the first round. Still, 
Um, there are some luxury tax considerations with extensions coming for Trey Young in the future. Um, that's probably two years away at this point in time, but keep that in mind too. So it's not just you know funny money. They want to be responsible on some level, but there is some, um, I would say, some incentive that they didn't have before to give Collins an extension financially. Now, when it comes to space beyond 21, which I think part is part of this question, the Hawks, the Hawks get, pretty, get pretty expensive in a hurry, especially when you factor in that they have... If you assume, if, especially if you, if you assume extension for Collins, they have Collins, Capella, Bogdanovich, and Gallinari making real money, and then Hunter and Akongwu and Reddish, and even Herder making some pretty decent money, even on the rookie deals, especially for Hunter and Akongwu as top six picks, and then of course the massive extension that's coming for Trey Young, almost certainly. So this is not a team that projects to have cap space in 22 either. So, I mean. A lot can be created in the NBA. You never want to close the door necessarily, but cast base is now not really the focus for the Hawks in any meaningful way. Uh, that can be changing, but for now, you have to kind of play in on the fact that the Hawks aren't going to be huge cast base players in the future. Now, this sort of this is a different question from, from a different person, but it sort of goes together. And this this one comes from Andrew Brotherton, who asks, "Do you see us being active in free agency next year? Obviously, not on the main guys, but on the periphery." So it's a natural follow up. If they lose Collins. Again, if they lose Collins, they, they could still have you know 12 million or so in cap space maybe, but that's not enough to sign anybody huge. If they keep Collins, which is obviously the desired outcome given that he's really good, um, either by his cap or even with an extension already signed, they will still be over the cap. But if they're over the cap, they stay over. Um, there is some incentive still to spend a free agency because they have the mid-level exception and the biannual and the biannual exception to use if they wanted to do that. Now the mid-level is, you know, between between 9 and $10 million, that is, you know, pretty much the same as having $11 million, $11 million in cap space in terms of what you could actually get for it. So staying over the cap is probably the way to go if you are the Hawks without getting too deep into the nerd stuff at this point in time. Some of that is going to come down to whether um, Russ was willing to go into the tax, which could happen in the next year or so. But uh, they will have the ability to add a rotation-level player on the MLE next summer if they want to do that while keeping everybody in place. And that includes everyone that's on the roster this season is signed for next season, at least all, all, the, all the core guys anyway. The only guys who are not signed beyond this this year are like Brandon Goodwin, Solomon Hill, Tony Snell, etc. All the young guys and all the core guys are on contracts that go into the following season. So they're going to have this group. If they want to keep it together, they probably can do that, and we'll uh, touch on that at a later point in time. But they basically chose... Um, the Bogdan Gallinari Rondo trio over a huge cast space for next summer, which is probably the right decision given what, given where Atlanta is and given that, that those guys are all uh, quite good. So there you go on that. Okay, um, one more extension question comes from Dr. Sam on Twitter, who asks, "Do the Hawks think about extending Kevin Herter in the offseason, and what would the market rate most likely be?" Um, so the answer with Herter is basically a giant wait and see, at least for me. Because it's not even entirely clear what his role is going to be this season. He's going to play, obviously, but you know, no one can really tell you how much he's going to play. Um, obviously, Bogdanovich is ahead of him in the pecking order at the, at the two, etc. Um, but I will say, just as a point of reference, both Herder and, of course, Trey Young are rookie extension eligible next summer. So they couldn't sign until next summer, next offseason, in the same way that Collins couldn't uh, until the free agency started this time around. It's the same thing for Herder and Young. Um a guy at Herder's level is a lot more difficult to project because extensions are less common, I would say much less common, for non-stars, like rotation caliber players like Herder. They're not impossible to do, but without the info of what he's going to be doing this year on the court, it's really hard to find a number to give you. I'm not even going to try, quite frankly. Um, as for Trey Young, 
I would bet heavily on a max extension happening next summer, unless there's something that goes very, very wrong there. The negotiation for Trey is basically like, does he get a player option? Does he get, uh, you know, what kind of escalators are there for all NBA and Rose Rule stuff, etc.? He's gonna he's gonna get the max. It'll be the deal that he wants to get, and uh, we'll see what, what kind of hardball the Hawks end up playing with him um, this year. A couple of the teams that had rookie extension candidates like Jason Tatum, those guys got player options. Um, that's tough to get, but Trey is good enough where he might get a player option, which is obviously not as good for the Hawks. So that's gonna happen. I'll be surprised almost shocked if they do not extend Trey at the max next summer. Um, but regardless, I'm expecting the full boat there. We'll see the other stuff, but it's, it's just those two for rookie sessions next summer. This year it was only Collins as the only guy in that draft class eligible for the Hawks. Next time around, it'll be Herter and Young. And then after that, of course, she'll have Reddish and Hunter up for extensions in the summer of 22. So, Hopefully that answers the question. Uh, obviously, extension stuff is up in the air with Collins. Again, one week basically from now is how long the Hawks had to extend him. Um, I have no guess, quite frankly. People are asking me for a guess on that. I think the two sides are clearly at least at some sort of an impasse or it would be done already. Um, obviously, Collins wants a lot of money, and he probably should want a lot of money. The Hawks want to get a, uh, at least a relative discount. I'm usually pro um, teams getting a discount if they are doing an extension a year early. In this case, the opportunity cost is a little bit less for Atlanta because of what I said before about cap space. But still, if you're the team, again, if you're the team, to give an extension out a year early to a guy who's not a no-brainer max, and I know John Collins is really good, he isn't a no-brainer max guy. So you have to think about that through that lens. Um, You have to get a a deal that makes sense for the team. Otherwise, the worst-case scenario, if you want to say that, is Collins goes out in the market next summer, gets a offer sheet that you don't love, and you could still match it. Like, he can't get out the door unless you let him. And Collins is so good that, um, if you want to say this is a bad scenario, uh, Collins playing incredibly well, earning a max next summer, that's not a bad thing for the Hawks. You just match it, and you keep going. I don't think I don't, I don't think John's going to be a problem in the locker room, that kind of stuff. I know he's talked about openly about how he's worried about the extension and all that, and he should be. You know, these guys are real human beings. It's a lot of money, and I'm sure he's thinking about it, as he should be. So, no real concerns there if you're the Hawks. If they, don't, if they don't get an extension, I will come on this podcast and tell you it's not a big deal, and I will believe that. If they do one and they get a decent, if they get some decent value, I will laud that and uh, you know congratulate John and all that stuff. So both sides are in an interesting spot here for sure. We talked about it for the last several months now, and now there's one week left, so I will update you on what transpires if anything happens in the coming days. All right, before we get to some more mailbag questions in the final segment of the podcast, a word from our sponsors, and one of them today is Headspace. Even in the most normal of circumstances, life can and often is stressful. And in 2020, there have been challenges that go well beyond the most difficult of previous times. And because of that, you need stress relief that goes beyond the normal quick fix. And that is Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations and an easy-to-use app. Headspace is also one of the only meditation apps that advances the field of mindfulness meditation through clinically validated research. With that said, whatever the situation happens to be, Headspace can really help you feel better. And if you're overwhelmed, Headspace is a three-minute SOS meditation just for you. If you need some help falling asleep, Headspace has wind-down sessions that their members absolutely swear by. And if you're a parent, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, 
boost focus and increase your overall sense of well-being. I can personally test to that as well. And that I use Headspace to help me juggle all the obligations that I have during a very, very rigorous time. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. And Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's headspace.com slash LockedOnNBA for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every single situation. That's the best deal offered right now, so go to headspace.com slash LockedOnNBA today. All right, a few more mailbag questions to get to before we get out of here on this fine Monday. Next one comes from Jeff Leopard 16 on Twitter, who asks, how many 20-rebound games did Clint Capella have this season? So I did some research quickly on this. Last year, Capella had eight 20-rebound games and only 39 appearances, which is pretty crazy. Uh, the previous year, five out of 67 games, and uh, three years ago, only two in 74 games. So kind of a mixed sample there. I will guess four or five. It could be higher than that. Pretty easily at the same time, he might play not a ton of minutes at times if you're trying to be responsible with him long term. Um, this is sort of related to this. Bet Online released some odds on stat leaders today in the NBA. And Capella was 40 to 1 to win the rebounding title this year in the entire league. By the way, Collins was 51. Um, but Capella finished in the top five two years ago, and he would have been second last year in rebounding per, per game if he had not, sorry, if he had played enough to qualify. I don't think he's going to lead the league in rebounds, but. He's certainly like on the short list of guys who could, I would say. I think 4 one's pretty good value to me. Uh, if he's not going to play as much as he probably needs to to win, um, there'll be enough uh, rebounds to go around, I would imagine, for Capella. He's great on the glass. Um, also, to that end, um, Trey is 12-1 to to lead the league in scoring after uh, you know being in the top five last year. He's also 4-1 to to lead the league in assists. I've already picked him to lead the league in assists, so 4-1 to sounds pretty good to me. Um, so there you go on that. But anyway, hopefully that answers the question on 20 rebound games. But I would say four or five with some upside beyond that. Um, and But it's, it's always tough because, you know, 19 rebound games are really impressive, but they're not 20. So uh, who knows? Next question comes from Lucas. And he asks, do you see Gallinari retiring in Atlanta? Um, I'll just say I'll pretty much always default to no on that kind of question. Gallinari is under contract for only two more seasons. He's age 32 and age 33 seasons. He has a partial guarantee for age 34 season, three years from now. Um, he obviously could get injured or something like that, but assuming if he, assuming he doesn't, I don't think he's going to retire at 34. I think he's so big and skilled he can age pretty well and be able to play beyond that. It's not impossible he sticks around, but of course the Hawks could trade him during the deal. They could cut him. They could sign somewhere else. You know, it wouldn't like blow me away if he signed forever and stayed until he retired at, you know, 37, 38 years old. But I will lean no on this one just to answer the question. That's a short one, I know, but I thought it was pretty interesting that somebody was thinking about that because I had not thought about that, quite frankly, until right then. Um, and two more to hit on here. One comes from Justin Perez, who asks, Why does it seem like the national media allows Trey Young's defense to be completely overshadowing his scoring and passing abilities. I know the defense is terrible. This is his words, by the way. But he's going to be a once-in-a-generation offensive piece for this franchise. Okay, so there's a lot to get to, lots, lots to get to here. I, I will say that. Um, I think, by the way, Trey is generally underrated in my mind right now nationally, especially when you see where he lands at some of the rankings we discussed earlier, plus the ESPN list. Now, that's not always the lens to view things through, but I think, you know, that is probably the case. I, I do believe that he's underrated as a general rule right now. Now, there are also some people that might overrate him. 
at the moment, if you go strictly by the counting stats from last season and the top five, top four in scoring and assists, that probably overrates him a little bit because of the defense. But and there, you know, there are some real zealots out there that will tell you Trey's like the best player in the league. Um, he's not quite that just yet, but I think he is better than people than most people nationally think he is. He's very, very good, quite obviously. Um, but that's that's worth saying again. Trey is really, really, really good. Um, I think his passing is still his best attribute in my mind. That is crazy, given how incredible he already is as a shooter, as a scorer, as a foul drawer, etc. By the way, he might have the best floater in the league. He gets to the line a ton you know, the long, the long range shooting, et cetera, but he's truly a ridiculous passer. He's already probably a top five passer in the league. He's either one or one a with Chris Paul as in terms of the best passers that are just point guard size players. Trey is really, really good as a passer. So to the question again, the defense is bad, no way around it, but I think it's actually pretty lazy sometimes to refer to it. I mean, he is quite bad, but you know, he has to get better. I think he will get better defensively, but I said this before, but I'll say it again. Now I think the notion that he's the worst defender in the league is just so overstated to me just because of impact more than anything else. You know, is he bad? Yes, but at least he has been to this point. But I don't think he's that da- that, that damaging. You know, if you look at the numbers from last season, um, the Hawks really were their defensive worst, not because of Trey, but because of guys like Damian Jones and Jabari Parker in the front court. Front court guys are so much more damaging defensively than a point guard pretty much possibly could be. Now, it's gonna to have to you have to you have to see Trey improve defensively to get to where he needs to be, but it is overrated. You see some, you see some people at least I do in my mentions pretty regularly, like questioning whether Trey's a positive player, and that that's just so silly to me. You know, offense is worth more than defense in general, especially at the guard spots. And even if you didn't believe that, Trey is so good on offense that he quite obviously outweighs his defensive minus. Now you can debate you know, that formula, but the notion that he's like not a positive player is pretty crazy. Anyway, he's really good. I think the perception is going to change a little bit if the Hawks win this season. That's part of it. And uh, even if I think, and I've said repeatedly that Trey is not even close to the reason why the Hawks were bad last year, the roster was not built for them to have success. That's not on him by any means, but he's going to have to improve defensively, of course, to reach his ultimate ceiling. And the team has to win for him to get some recognition, but still, I think he'll be in the All-NBA mix this year. I think some of the narrative stuff will change. The perception will change as they win. That's just kind of the deal at this point in time, but I do think that he's underrated nationally, and I hope people will stop just you know automatically bringing up the defense. Look, it matters. It's part of the evaluation. You can't ignore it. I am a, I'm someone who cares about defense quite deeply. I, I would say more than most people do. At the same time, for a star point guard carrying a 30% usage rate and doing so with efficiency and production, you can't dwell too much. Like All I'll say is, you don't hear guys who are bad defenders talked about like that like they do with Trey. Um, a couple years from now, I think that is probably going to go away. But like, here's a good example for you. Damian Lillard is not a good defender. Now, he's gotten better, and that's what Trey has to do as well. But Damian Lillard, you know, people will mention it now, but they used to mention it more when he was younger. Same with like Kyrie Irving. You you get a mention of that. Guys who are similar, not necessarily in game, but like positionally and stature-wise, rising stars at point guard. Those guys were bad defenders early on. They got a little bit better. Kyrie is not good still. Dame is better. But part of that's just that, you know, at a certain point you get the you get the credence and the respect that you've earned as an offensive player and sort of your other faux pas 
get talked about less. So anyway, that's a long answer, but I think Trey will be just fine. I agree he's underrated at this point in time, and defensively, he'll both improve. Again, he's going to need to improve, and I think he's going to, but in addition to his improvement, people will focus on it less as the team wins and as he performs on that level year after year after year. So last question to get to from KE, and he says, although it's only the preseason, but has the Hawks play made you change your mind on how good this team can be for better or for worse? I will say this. The short answer is no. I think the takeaways are largely positive for the preseason, but basically with two games under their belt, there's not really anything the Hawks could have done to change my mind too much on them in either direction. You know, no crazy injuries is the most important thing about the preseason. Obviously, the Hawks have some nagging stuff, some issues to keep an eye on, but nothing huge. Nobody's gotten badly hurt, knock on wood. There's been some offensive fireworks, some nice flashes, especially when the main guys are playing. I think Capella is already making an impact that it was quite evident, which is nice to see, even if I was already kind of banking on that in a lot of ways. I think Hunter's been very good through two games. Even Herder and Reddish have shown some flashes in the first two games. But again, I think there's nothing that really could have happened in two games to change my mind, especially facing the same team in Orlando. Um, it's just kind of a tough sample size. I, I know people like to talk about the preseason, and listen, I'm covering the team. I'm talking about it too in-game. In you, you can make some observations. You can note things, scheme things, um, guys that have improved, at least uh, in certain facets of the game. But keep in mind, it's still, two, it's still two games. I know it's like overreaction season, which is totally fine. But we'll learn more in the regular season in maybe one game than we have in the entire preseason uh, in four. So rotations, stuff like that, we'll see. But to answer the question, you know, I would lean to the positive so far through two games, but um, that's just, it's a lean because there has to be a lean in one direction or the other, I suppose. There have been some nice things to see, but nothing is going to change my mind so far anyway. Maybe if it's four games and something's gone terribly wrong. But as long as everybody's healthy and cooking and uh, the talent is there, you have to lean a lot more on your previous stuff that you've seen and the numbers and all that than anything you've seen in the preseason so far. So that's my answer. Hopefully that makes hopefully that makes sense. And uh, I think I've been reasonably positive so far coming into the season, but I'm sure people will disagree with me. But I think I'm leaning in that direction a little bit more this time around. Okay. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. Hopefully that's going to cover it for today's show. Please subscribe to the podcast. I have a couple of guests lined up, hopefully at least one of them between now and Thursday. The Hawks return to action on Thursday evening in Memphis. We will have our, our typical post-game podcast for that one. And then I'll wrap up preseason over the weekend, also in Memphis, before they come back to Atlanta and prep to go on the road for the regular season opener, which is coming nine days from now. We are almost there. It's coming very, very fast. But again, please subscribe. Please tell a friend. We will see you next time.